Thank you. That was uh, very kind of you. Would you guys um, just join me? Before we look at God's word, let's pray for a moment. Ask him to not only let us hear his word, but to speak to us this evening. Okay? So join me in prayer. As we're trying to take an offering, could you imagine? Father, I just want to take a moment and pause and thank you. We've come to hear from you this evening, not just to hear a message, but to hear from you. And we ask that you would awaken us to your love again afresh. We ask that the fullness of who you are would be in the midst of us as we listen to your word. Would you allow us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Would you release your power inside of us so that we can be rooted and grounded in love? And would you cause us to will and to do your good pleasure this evening? I thank you for your word. What a joy to hear it, to receive it, and to let it transform us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Please turn with me to John chapter 9, and as you're turning there, John chapter 9, verse 1, as you're turning there, um, I want to just, in a moment, just invite you, tomorrow night I'll be back here at your church, but I'll be in the chapel, and I do a, a monthly thing with you guys on your destiny, helping you discover your destiny. Uh, this month, we're going to be looking at what it means to actually have vision for your life. So if you've never had a chance to think about that or have had any training, please come. It's not just we figure out a vision. We believe that the first vision that people have is, who is Jesus in me, and how does he want to live his life through me? So at 7 o'clock at the chapel, please come and join us. I think you'll be blessed, uh, at least we are when we gather together to do this. Now, I'm sure as you guys have been looking at John in the last several months as we've been coming together and you've had the other pastors teaching you, you find something out about John specifically, the Gospel of John. It's trying to show you uh, what we call each chapter, each story, is unfolding something about who Jesus is as Messiah, what, what's unique about him, who he is in history. And each story is not only evangelistic in the sense that it calls people to the Lord Jesus Christ, but it shows us here's another unique thing about Jesus, and here's how we recognize him as Messiah, and this is how people respond to him. It's just a beautiful story of what his life and the impact it had on the disciples, the people around him, and the whole world through the Gospel of John. That's why it's such a wonderful book. It's not just the history, it's some background, some insight. It shows us how people are responding to his message. And in John chapter 9, verse 1, if you guys look at it with me real quick, we now have the story of Jesus um, coming up to a man who was born blind. And the disciples begin to have a conversation with him about him being blind. He says, now, who sinned, this man or his parents? And that's how the conversation starts. A man born blind, and the disciples are asking a question, who sinned? Now, I'm not going to, this is not the passage I'm going to look at, but you have to understand the context of this before I go to the passage I want to cover. When that conversation starts, that comes from a history of Israel and the idea of what has brought disease to mankind or where did all these infirmities come from. And we find from the story of Adam and Eve, it was from their rebellion that their lineage from them all experienced the effect of sin. But at least at this time in Israel's history, they now started equating that every sin produced sickness or disease in people. And um, Jesus is not addressing that in this passage. They're, and so when they're asking whose parents, was it his parents' sin or his sin that caused this blindness, he said, it's, that's not even the issue here. I'm going to show my goodness in his life. 
And so he's now beginning to say, don't worry about that. Look at what I want to do in response to what has happened to the human race. He's trying to change their attention from focusing on sin to focusing on to the solution. Jesus came to bring God's solution to the fallenness and the brokenness of humanity. And so he points in the right direction. I have come to bring my goodness to this person and to bring light to the human race. Now, I'm going to focus specifically starting in verse uh, 18. Would you guys turn there with me? So you know the story. Jesus uh, basically brings the man to him, uh, does this sign, and it was a sign. He actually spits on the ground and takes mud and rubs it in his eyes and says, now go wash in the pool. And he does it, and his sight's restored. Now, interesting enough, you would think that everybody would rejoice, but that wasn't the response at all. In fact, the miracle produced great conflict. And there's a reason why that is, and that's what we want to look at. So look with me at verse 18, and this is where I want to start this evening. It says this in John chapter 9, verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who says he was born blind? How, do, how then... Does he now see? And his parents answers, well, we know this is our son, and we know he was born blind. But now that he sees, we do not know, nor do we know how, who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now, the reason I took this part of John chapter 9 is I wanted to talk to you about the journey that each one of us go on from doubt to faith. Each one of us, you and I in this room, every believer, every person you encounter is going through this process of going from doubt to faith. By the way, um, I always had this assumption that if people saw a great miracle, do you guys think like I do? If people see a great miracle, they'll believe. Well, that would be great, but the problem is, is miracles don't bring people to faith. The Spirit of the Lord does. And so, miracles are used very intentionally by the Lord, are you guys ready, to stir the pot of people's hearts. And so, a lot of us think, now, if I could just do a major miracle in front of all my friends and family, they would just bow their knee and say, Jesus is Lord, and I've watched God do major miracles in my family and around my friends, and it's just caused problems in my life. So, what's going on in the hearts of people that... God can do a mighty work, and yet people are in opposition to it. It's this thing called moving from doubt to faith. So let's work through this. There's what we would call a scale going from total unbelief to a place where you're actually functioning in biblical faith. Okay? Now, this is important. It doesn't matter if you know the Lord or you don't know the Lord. Everyone has to go on this journey. Every one of us has to go on this journey. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to develop categories with you, and they're in the Scriptures, and it's how God actually deals with unbelief in people's lives to get them to a place to have faith. Now, by the way, just to encourage you, have you guys um, tried to draw your family into these things and been confused why they don't see it like you do? Because it doesn't come just for information. It comes by God making himself known to each individual, and it's what we call the timing of the Lord in people's lives. 
So when you see it, it's because God has revealed his grace to you. He's touched your heart. He's changed the way you see things. But it doesn't mean that anyone around you has had the same experience. And so we have to learn to be patient and understand the timing and how God works with each person to take them on the journey from doubt to faith without being frustrated with people. By the way, are you guys like I am? Are you always frustrated with people not being where you're at spiritually and then just think, what is wrong with everybody? Well, hopefully we can deal with that tonight. So let's take the word unbelief because it's used in Scripture. Jesus talked to people about unbelief. Uh, people struggle with unbelief. And the word's thrown around quite a bit in the body of Christ. But just so you understand, we can use the word unbelief incorrectly and bring condemnation on people as they're trying to grow close to walking in faith. So we need to understand how the word unbelief is actually used in Scripture several examples of how it's used, and understand where you and I and the people that we're relating to are on this journey. Now, this is important. Jesus dealt with unbelief in people all the time, okay? So there are three types of unbelief in Scripture, okay? Three types of unbelief, okay? One of them, Jesus is uh, very, let's see if I could say it the best way, this one type of unbelief, Jesus actually is against and actually works on aggressively. Another one, Jesus is very sympathetic. And so, or the other two, Jesus is sympathetic. So the first level of unbelief that people struggle with is this one. It's called, um, they just really don't want to know what God's doing or what he's doing on the planet. They're, they're in what we call happy unbelief. They just don't care. It's, it's a position in their hearts where, for the most part, it's great that God does that. I'm glad he's doing this, but I'm doing my own thing in life, and I just don't know, and I don't care to know. That's one level of unbelief that Jesus is dealing with. Now, guys, think about this. So how does God connect with the heart to get people who are in this level of unbelief to begin to recognize God's working? He does these things to get their attention. So think about this. When you do acts of kindness, when you pray for people, people get healed, or you talk about your relationship with God, this group of people that are struggling with unbelief, it awakens something in them. The, the, the testimony and the power of God being released, touch, the love of God touches them, and they go from a place of going, I didn't even know this was possible and didn't even consider my life having anything to do with it, where a spark gets awakened, and they're not in rebellion. They're in a place of being awakened to the reality of it. Okay? The second level of unbelief that we want to look at is not people who do not know. It's the people who um, do, uh, they don't know in the sense that they, they're just ignorant of the way God works. So the, this is the people that Jesus was talking to all the time where he was trying to address their understanding of who God is and what he does when he relates to people. They're, they're ignorant of the nature and the character of God, and God is not against these types of people. They just need to learn the ways of God, and this is the people that Jesus had all kinds of compassion towards and drew them in and had what we'd call God dialogue with. As you and I um, live as believers, think about this. I think the most interesting conversation that everybody wants to have is what I would call the God dialogue. Now, what do I mean by that? I find that it doesn't matter if they don't know anything about God or they're involved in a false religion or they're in a different place in their walk with the Lord, 
everybody wants to have a God dialogue. We want to talk about God. We want to know who He is. And there is a group of people that are trying to move from doubt to faith. And these are the people that Jesus had what we call God talks with. Who do you see God as? What is He like to you? How do you understand the kingdom? What would it look like if God moved in your life? And do you guys realize the Spirit of the Lord is having these conversations with humanity and with you and I in this room? And this is, this is a form of unbelief because it's, it's not complete trust in God. It's, I don't know what God would do in this situation. Now, that's okay. The Lord has no problem with it. That's a form of growing in the knowledge of the Lord, and that's another level of unbelief. Now, the third level of unbelief that we want to look at it's this one. It's, they actually know that God can do these things. They, they see that God's able to, and they refuse to go there with him. Now, this is the form of unbelief that Jesus has to deal with all the time with the Pharisees because they actually see the Spirit of the Lord doing something, and they're accusing it of being of Satan's kingdom, or they persecute the Lord Jesus Christ, or they're against what God is do- doing. Now, remember... They feel justified in this because they're going to lose something if they go with God into something new. See, the Pharisees, uh, if you understand the Pharisees, they, they said this about themselves. If you know them historically, this is the reason why Jesus had to deal with them so intensely, is they saw themselves as a special group of people in God's kingdom who knew everything. And they believed that they announced to everybody they were the most holiest of God's people and they were God's favorite. And here God is using this carpenter, has none of the pedigree that they had, and he's doing all this stuff and challenging them all the time on how, who they know God to be. And what's happening is they realize if they go with him, a lot of stuff's at stake, like financially, positionally, all of a sudden, all these things that they don't want to deal with, they're having to be dealt with by Jesus saying, here's what it's like to walk with God. And so their response was to fight it because if they went with it, they'd actually lose everything that they'd spent their life building. Now, this is important. This form of unbelief is actually a form of spiritual rebellion. That's why Jesus has to deal with it, because it's resisting the very person they say they're representing. They're saying, we're walking with God, but if God does anything, we're going to fight everything that he does, because we like God the way we like God doing what he's doing. Now, have you guys ever been caught by the Lord to be in that position? Now, most of you, yeah, I'll raise my hand on that one, Brian. Of course, I'll raise my hand on that one. Um, I haven't known any minister or Christian that hasn't been ministered to by the Lord on this part because there's a tendency in the heart to learn something in the kingdom and then just get frozen and never want to grow. It's just just a tendency in the heart that you and I have to learn that's there. Uh, People always ask me, did you always start by swinging on chandeliers and speaking in tongues? My background was none of this. I had nothing to do. I thought the charismatics did all that because they didn't like studying theology. And so I had a form of spiritual rebellion and pride in my heart where I thought I knew more than every other believer in the body of Christ, and the Lord had to confront me and basically tell me, you really don't know my nature, and you're actually fighting what I'm doing on the planet. That just brought great joy to me. (laughs) 
Now, Jesus does this. He's not doing this to be hard on people. He's doing this because he's trying to bring to each person a greater knowledge of what God's character is like and his favor in their life. And when we fight against the Spirit of the Lord, we're actually resisting the best that God can do for us. And this is the third form of rebellion or unbelief. So when you read the Gospels, please remember that not each person is struggling with Jesus at the same level. When he says, you're full of unbelief, he could be saying, you're, full, you're ignorant, you don't understand my ways, or he could say, you're rebellious, or you just haven't been awakened yet. It depends on the context of the passage. All right, now let's keep moving forward. The next level to go from doubt to faith is really fascinating. It's called learning to be open to the kingdom. Now... Every time Jesus is working, now this is what he was doing in this story. He's telling them, now look, I've come to bring light. He does a miracle, and then everyone starts responding, and all of a sudden, he starts dealing with their responses. When we move from a place of not knowing or doubt to wanting to grow in faith, there's a transition that we go through, and it's called learning to be open. It doesn't mean we're doing anything with it. It means we are opening our hearts to let to consider what God is saying or what God is doing. Now, I actually believe this is the grace of the Lord in our lives to do this. Because of the way the heart is, I think most of us would resist the Lord if not given grace to recognize something. Now, please understand this. There's nothing wrong with people being open if they're on the journey to get to faith. In fact, every new truth that you learn in the kingdom is because you opened up to it. You opened yourself. And so recognize this in your own life and recognize this when you talk to other people. When people are not fighting with you, but they're not at the same place you are, it doesn't mean they're resisting the Spirit of the Lord. It means that God is working with them, but they're not there yet. They're open. And so you want to bless where they're at and yet encourage them in the season they're at to keep walking with the Lord. Um, when I first started considering specifically the ministry of healing, <clears throat> I found it fascinating. I had to go from a position of there's no need for healing ministry today because we have physicians to the Lord having to say, well, could you consider that even though you have physicians, I might still want to heal. I remember having a great struggle over that. And it wasn't because I was a rebellion or anything else. It was because... Um, I couldn't understand the heart of the Lord to want to do that today. And so God had to get my heart to soften to him and begin to turn to him and say, is it possible that Jesus is still doing this today? Now, every one of us in this room, no matter what truth you're growing in, this is what it's like when the Spirit of the Lord is dealing with you. He does something and it awakens the heart. The question is, how are you responding to that awakening? Let's look at the next one. This is my favorite one because I fall on this, and I'm sure a lot of us in this room probably fall into this one quite a bit. It's not unbelief, and it's not being open. It's the stage calling being timid. Now, what is timid? You believe that God is actually, the truth he's showing you, you actually believe, but you're not acting on it. Now, if you guys, this is funny, uh, there's a word uh, in um, one of the epistles, I believe it was John, John was trying to deal with what we call confessors compared to believers. Have you ever heard that term? It's used historically. 
A confessor is someone that confesses the truth of Christ, but doesn't bring any of his actions into obedience to the lifestyle that Jesus calls it to. They're called confessors, but they're not called disciples because a disciple follows Jesus and does what Jesus does. They don't just say the right words. And so this is the, the place that a lot of us get stuck in, and I found myself in certain seasons get stuck in this also. When God wants me to grow in some area of my life, I move from a place of unbelief to being open to it, and then timidity hits my heart, and I, do you guys ever struggle with it? The biblical term is called <laughs> the fear of man. And all of a sudden, when, when truth is being shown to me, truth is never shown to your mind or to your heart so that it entertains you. It's to have an effect on you to where you have to conform your life to that truth and respond some way to it, either by a decision in your heart or by an action with your lifestyle. And it's usually both. Well, being timid means you actually believe, but you're not doing anything the Lord is showing you. And every area that Jesus calls me into, I find in my own heart, I go back and forth with timidity. Do you guys find that to be consistent in your life? Some of you are looking at me. No, that's the problem you have, Brian. But, you know, some of us, think about it. When Jesus asks you to do something, you have to get out of this place of being comfortable and you have to do something that you're unfamiliar with and it's just scary to be in that arena. Now, does it bring great joy to you guys to realize that's what it means to be a Christian? You have to deal with timidity and, and that's part of the growing process. And I think once you understand it, you can just say, well, that's what it's like. I'm not going to let that slow me down. I'm going to just recognize that's a part of this, but I'm going to keep moving forward with the Lord. Anything Jesus calls us to, we have to fight through fear to get through it. The idea that ministers or people that you respect when they stand up in front of you and they do something powerful, they do a great sermon, and you think they don't have fear, that's a false assumption. Reality of it is, is this is what it's like to be in the, made in the image of God and be in a fallen state and yet be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to deal with what's going to happen if it doesn't go well and people don't like me and all that kind of stuff that we all talk about. Some people focus so much on being afraid that they can't push past the fear to obedience. And we need to recognize that in our own walk. Do I let fear define me or do I recognize it as part of the walk of faith and just push past it and say, I'm going to do this even if I'm afraid? And the next step, this is number four, is this. It's called obedience. Now, in the obedience stage, you now recognize that Jesus has told you to do these things. You're believing him for it. You've moved past being timid. You're actually starting to do it. But here's the cool part about once you obey God, and it's a principle in the kingdom of God. Usually when we start obeying God in a certain area, there's very little success in it. We make more mistakes than we get breakthrough. And it's called driving the seed of truth into the heart by active obedience. Okay. How do you and I bear fruit? in the kingdom of God, Jesus described it. He said, now look, I'm going to sow a seed into you. And then I'm going to watch what you do in response. The seed means 
the word or something new from the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to sow a seed in you and your heart and in my heart. And then he's going to say, now, what are you going to do with that word? The people that produce 30, 60, or 100-fold are not the people that are super spiritual. The only difference between them and the rest of us that can't produce is it because they have a deeper revelation or a more powerful walk with the Lord or they pray more? There's one word that Jesus used. It's really interesting. He says, the people that persevere produce. How do you and I produce fruitfulness in our life? It's not by being super spiritual and doing it right all the time. It's just refusing to let failure define us and we stick with it until crop is produced in us. Um, I'm going to tell you a story here in a few moments, but I want you to understand, before I get to this story that I'm going to tell you, I want you to understand, I prayed for tens of thousands of people and saw no one get better after I prayed for them. And I remember the Lord challenging me at one point. He said, are you going to do this because my words told you to do it, whether you produce fruit out of it, or are you going to do it because you see fruit? Now think about that. The, now, I used to sit around and think, well, that's kind of unfair, God. How are you going to encourage me if I never produce any blessing? But there's the wisdom of God is in the middle of this thing. And let me see if I can communicate this to you. See, if you only do it because you'll get a breakthrough, you'll get bored with it. But if you do it, whether anyone recognizes it, you get blessed by it, or there's any breakthrough, but you know it's God's word, what it does is it drives it deep into the level of commitment, and all of a sudden, the fear of man cannot touch you anymore with that thing because you've made a commitment to the truth. And then when you get a breakthrough, you don't have to worry about being full of pride because you've already had everyone tear you apart for years. I don't know if this is blessing you. Is this a good way to start January? So obedience is the fourth stage of walking from doubt to faith. Is I, I obey, but I don't see very much fruit. I act on what I see in God's word, but very little is happening as I'm doing it. Now here's the stage we want to get to. It's called number five. It's called fruitfulness. I, I really can't tell you, I, I've, literally in my history, I've tried to sit back and think, now, when was it that I finally started seeing people get better when I prayed for them? I'm using healing specifically. Um, after I had made a commitment to pray for the sick and I didn't see anyone get better, in fact, everyone got worse as I prayed for them, I just stopped worrying if anyone was getting better. I just made a commitment to it. And I can't remember what year it was, but all of a sudden, instead of everyone getting worse, at least we were reaching a halfway point where half were better and half were still worse. Um, but what Jesus is looking for is something else going on in the heart that I want to talk to you about faith. See, I believe that you can learn how to live by faith. I think you can learn the steps of it so that any area that you walk into, you can understand what God is doing in your life, and you can enjoy the process instead of being frustrated with it. And this story is really interesting because... The disciples are trying to deal with a sin issue, and Jesus is dealing with an issue of, no, really, why am I doing this with you guys? I'm doing this to try to show you what I'm like. I'm making you go through the process of doing this with me for three years, and I'm letting you see everybody's response because this is what it's like that people go through when they go from doubt to faith. 
And you need to get comfortable with this so that you can help each person at each level of the journey that you're going. And that's what you and I need to learn. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I've been in some communities of the body of Christ around the nation where they just pound on each other because they don't believe they have enough faith. And people that are sick, they're just letting them have it because they believe they don't have enough faith. You guys ready? None of us have enough faith. It's God's desire to get us to have enough faith. He can do it. But you have to learn how to encourage people to that place instead of beating them if they're not at the same place you are. Several years ago, I was invited to go to Africa with a team. We had gone down. This was my um, second trip down into Africa. We had already done one series of meetings and saw some amazing things. And the second time I went back, I took, I believe it was a team of um, 12 people with me. And I have this idea that if I'm going to do missions and I'm going to lead a team, everybody has to do what I have to do. So I told everybody on the team, uh, you're not going there to watch me do ministry. You're going to do everything that I'm going to do. So you have to pre present the gospel to 20,000 people. You have to pray for the sick. I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. You're going to pray for the sick. If they have demons, you're going to drive demons out of them. And if we need to raise people from the dead, you're going to do it. And everybody had to sign off on that before they went on the missions trip. <laughs> so we go on this trip. Um, very, uh, very kindly enough, the Lord started showing up in power. In fact, uh, it was one of those things that you just, you read about in books and you're just amazed that you get to be a part of it. Um, we were seeing, I believe the first series of open air meetings we were doing, um, we started with maybe about 5,000 and by the time we got done, we were up to 20,000 people and this was happening every day. And the team would have to get up and say, here's what it was like before I knew Jesus. This is what it's like now that I've met Jesus. They would present the gospel. And we'd just watch people come to the front, hundreds at a time, coming to the Lord and receiving. And then we'd do pastor training in the afternoon. Well, what was fascinating, two things about doing training with leaders in Kenya, where we are at, is one, how they don't have a Bible. We were just amazed on all these leaders who were leading people that didn't have a Bible. And we'd open up the Bible and just read passages to them, and they would start weeping. And I'd ask them, well, why are you guys crying? And they're like, well, you don't understand. We get to hear the Word of God. And we so long for this. It's hard to lead people without a Bible. <laughs> Could you imagine? So I thought that was fascinating. The next thing was, was how broken and, and defeated the leaders were. And so one of the days we were doing training of, um, I, I believe we got done doing training and we were just doing normal services on Sunday morning. No, I'm sorry, it was still tr training leaders. And um, we had several words of knowledge for healing that people came up for. And so um, there was 12 people on the team and I think we had 30 different words of knowledge or 30 different types of people coming for words of knowledge. And I got caught way over in the corner of a room praying for a lady that had been blind for over a decade. And the rest of the team were praying for people with various conditions. And so I'm praying for her. And um, as I get done, I said, well, can you see? And she's like, yes. And I, I so love the people in Kenya because they get healed. And they'd just go, thank you, and then go sit down. They're, they wouldn't run around the room or jump up and down, all the things you think people should do. 
that just, oh, thank you. And then they would just, and I'd almost think, are you actually healed? And I'd like harass them for a while. No, I mean, really, are you healed? And they're like, well, yes. And so anyways, I just got done praying with them. And I went and sat down in the audience because um, I love watching people do ministry, especially if I take them on a trip and they're trying to learn. And so I'm watching the team pray for people. And I'm just I'm being touched by the, the, the wisdom of the Lord and how good he is and how he does this with every one of us. And it, there isn't special people in the sense that one person can do this and other people can't. Was just, I was just enjoying that. And there was a group of ladies around this little child. And so they said, hey, Brian, would you come and join us? And so I go up there. And um, I'm watching them, and they're telling me. This, he's 10 years old, and they say, this child was born deaf. And we're praying for him, and he's not getting healed. So would you pray for him? Now, by the way, have you ever had someone ask you to do a miracle? <laughs> miracles are fun, aren't they? Because you, there's, there's no miracles residential inside of you. They come from Jesus. And so I'm like, oh, no. I, I try to figure out how can I get out of this situation. I fell right into timidity. And I, I said, well, haven't you guys already been praying for him? Yeah. Well, what's going on? Well, we sense the Spirit of the Lord, but we're not getting a breakthrough. And I'm trying to figure out, you guys ready? I just saw a lady with her eyes open. The Lord just healed her eyes. And I'm now, I don't know if Jesus can do this. And so I'm trying to figure out how to get out of it. And they said, well, we just need you to do it. And so I turn into the Lord, and I'm praying about it. Right. It's really complaining. Lord, why, why, why? They're supposed to be doing this. Why am I in this position? And the Lord just quiets my heart, and he says, Brian, you don't have to do a miracle. All you have to do is just listen to me. He said, now do what I tell you to do in this situation. I'm like, oh, well, that's easy. So I'm like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? He says, now take your fingers and stick it in the kid's ears. Now, guys, I... Would that feel uncomfortable for any of you guys? I, I mean, some of this on-the-job training with Jesus is kind of fun, in a sense. So I'm sticking my fingers in his ears, and I'm like, well, now what am I supposed to do? The Lord said, well, remember, you're supposed to listen to me. Oh, that's right. He said, now, I want you to ask me to create eardrums in his ears. I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Now, see, I'm struggling with timidity. But I realized if I don't go for this, nothing's going to happen. So I said, all right, Lord, would you come and create eardrums in his ears? I still have my fingers in his ears. I prayed that, and now I realize I have to take my fingers out of his ears or do something here. And I, and I won't take, and now, now I'm really getting fearful. I'm leaving my fingers in his ears because I realize if I pull my fingers from his ears and he's not healed, what am I going to do with that? So, Lord, Lord, are you sure you said that to me? And I'm, I'm going back, and I'm kind of collapsing in on myself. Finally, the Lord says, Brian, just take your fingers out of his ears. So pull my fingers out of his ears. I mean, you guys, I mean, think about this. What do you do in these situations? So I'm looking at him, and I'm like, can you hear me? Now, this child is born deaf. I, our team, we actually didn't really consider what Jesus had done. The father was standing there and our translator. Now remember, I'm asking him in English, can you hear me? The translator's asking him that in Kenyanese. And you guys ready? Swahili, rather. Uh, he's never heard language. 
So when I pull my fingers out, I say, can you hear me? He does this miracle. He goes, yes. Now, you guys ready? All of us look at him and went, did that actually just happen? Now, every time a miracle happens, you guys ready? It's like a light goes off in the hearts of people. And what's in your heart comes to the surface. I'm looking at him like, did that actually happen? And so we started doing these goofy experiments on him where we would get behind him and whisper, did you hear me? Yes. And, and every experiment we did showed that he was healed. And then our, out of our own hearts, we're struggling with it. Did Jesus actually do that? He's crying. His father's crying because he's actually healed. And I'm struggling with it as he's just walking to his seat and sitting down. That was a powerful demonstration of Jesus doing miracles and exactly what goes on in the hearts of people. See, Jesus gave me everything that was needed. He gave me faith for what was needed in that situation, but I had to still deal with my humanness in the midst of him trying to get me to do it. And what he was trying to get me to do is even though I was timid, he was trying to get me to a place of being obedient with him. And once he did, he did his part and did the miracle. I actually walked away from that stunned. The rest of the day, I had a hard time adjusting to it because I realized Jesus was confronting something in me and I would never be the same after that experience. See, I believe God does these works in your life and in my life and historically, not to prove he's Messiah, that is being done, but he's doing something different to each person's heart that needs to be recognized trying to bring you and I into truth and to have us walk by trusting that truth, which is called faith. Would you guys turn your heart with me to the Lord right now and let's let him do that work inside of us? Let's pray. Lord, wherever we're at on this walk with you from doubt to faith, first, we just want to acknowledge the process and thank you that you work with us at each stage. If we're in the stage where we need to be awakened, Holy Spirit, come and do that work. Awaken us. If we're in that place where we just don't know, train us in your ways, O oh God. Lord, if we're resisting you, would you bring the grace of repentance so that we can stop? And Lord, if we are open to you, but we're not to the place of being timid yet, would you, by the work of your love, nurture us through that process? And Lord, if we're timid, give us your strength to walk past that. And then, Lord, teach us the steps of obedience in our lives. And for each person here this evening, would you produce a desire for fruitfulness in their lives? You've called us to bear fruit. Let us be a people that have our hearts aligned with that desire from your kingdom. I thank you. Now, Holy Spirit, 
would you begin to do a deep work inside of our hearts and our minds this evening. And anywhere that someone has said something or anywhere we've made a decision not to walk this way with you, would you, by your grace of healing, go into that area of our lives and begin to restore our soul so that we can walk with you again, Lord? Don't let us back away from the good things that you've called us to. Let us walk with you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen. All right, I'm going to, again, share some things with you. If you have these conditions or if this is you, please just stand where you're at so that we're going to, have, we're going to actually split up and pray with people this evening, and we're going to do it this way. Uh, the Lord was showing me that someone is dealing with pain on the right side of their jaw, and he, and he used not only pain in the muscle, but also TMJ. So it's two, really two conditions in the jaw. If you have pain in your jaw on the right side or are dealing with TMJ, would you stand, please? The Lord would like to minister to you. So no one has pain in their jaw. I'm <laughs> grateful for that, but let's keep moving on. Is there um, a gentleman named Tim here this evening? Gentleman named Tim. Okay, I'm doing great this evening, aren't I? Let's keep moving forward. Uh, if you're dealing with sinus problems or weaknesses in your sinus area, would you stand the Lord like to minister to you? Sinus problems or weaknesses in your sinuses? Sorry? Oh, Tim's here. Hey, thanks, Tim. All right, well, you could just stay right there if you want, Tim, or wherever you're going to go. And I'm just going to pray a blessing over you. Uh, the people still that have sinuses, would you stand, please? The Lord would like to minister to you. Sinuses or weaknesses in your sinuses. Tam, here's what the Lord wanted me to share with you. Uh, you're in a process right now by the Lord uh, where he's training you in spiritual warfare. That's what he wanted me to actually tell you. And he wanted me to also tell you this, that the, the spiritual warfare that he's training you in right now is intentional to grow you in the gift of faith. And so there's a work of the gift of faith that's being worked in your life right now. Does that make sense to you, Tim? Okay, and the next thing he wanted me to share with you is this. He's called you to be a leader of your family, but your, not just your family, but your extended family. God is using you literally as a light on a hill, and everyone's watching you, and it's an intentional development of a leadership gift in your life, all right? And then the next thing was this. Uh, Jesus has called you to begin to practice the, the ministry of healing in your life. He's going to release the gift of healing in your life, and then you're going to function in the ministry of healing. Does that make sense to you at all, Tim? So could you just put your hands out, and let's pray a blessing over you, okay? Holy Spirit, would you bring your power and your presence around Tim right now? And this, this thing about him growing in spiritual warfare, you're trying to teach him how to have victory. I just command that to come forth, and I ask that you'd release the gift of faith inside of him. And this leadership dynamic that you're doing in his life, cause it to come forth with strength and with boldness in the name of Jesus. And this invitation by you, Lord, for him to learn the ministry of healing, I ask that you'd bring him into. And I command the blessing of the Lord upon Tim right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, Tim. All right. 
The pe who, do we still have everyone standing? Who has the sinus problems? Okay, you mind just putting your hands out like this, please? Now, what I'm gonna do is, um, I'm gonna give several other conditions, so if you have these other conditions, just stand up, because this is how we're gonna finish. We're gonna gather around each other and pray. Uh, the next one is this. He was showing me that some people are struggling with weaknesses in their th throat, and what it's causing is, is that when they try to speak, it, they really have to strain to do it. It's not a sickness, it's actually an infirmity with your throat. So if you're having problems communicating or weakness in your voice, would you stand the Lord like to minister to you? Sorry you're dealing with that. So there's a gentleman in the back row, if you guys remember that. Okay, we show, I thought this was interesting. He showed me left leg specifically, and he said there were three specific conditions. So you don't have to have all three. You can have one of them. The Lord wants to minister to you. So he was showing me that some people are dealing with just pain up and down their left leg. So if you have left leg pain, stand up. Also, the left leg, some other people are dealing with swollen knees. Their knees are actually in pain, and they're swollen. So if you have swollen left knee, please stand. And then he was showing me that some people are dealing with, uh, like, it's almost like needles in the bottom of your feet and also uh, pain in your um, <laughs> ankle. Thank you. Why can't I remember that? And um, you're, you're, it's hard for you to walk, and you feel like you're kind of crippled by it. Also stand up to the Lord like to minister to you. So like a needling effect in the bottom of your feet, and also your ankle is in pain, and it feels like you're kind of crippled. Please stand, which is going to be difficult. Uh, all right. If there's a woman here named Connie, is there a woman here named Connie? If you're named Connie, please come up and see me. I'm going to pray for you. And um, this blonde haired woman right here, what's your name? Tracy? Francie. Would you mind standing for a moment, please? Um, the Lord is actually has his anointing resting on you. It's very specific to actually minister to women. Are you, do you recognize that he's doing that? He actually told me that you were like an evangelist, and he was going to use you in the next season of your life where you're going to actually create groups to create strength in women's lives. So can I pray for that to be released? And so you mind putting your hands out like this? And here we go. Holy Spirit, just release your power and your presence around your daughter. I ask that you would just cause her as she starts calling people into a life of faith and strength in the kingdom that you would anoint her to fulfill this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've been asking the Lord specifically to speak more clearly to you. The Lord is actually going to do that for you. He's actually going to start visiting you in dreams and just ministering to you at that level. And this is important. Not only is he going to speak to you, but there's going to be a release that's going to happen inside of you. The love of God is going to go deep inside of you as you encounter the voice of the Lord. So, Lord, I thank you for your daughter. I, I break the power of um, fear that comes to her from other people trying to shut her down. I command that to lift off of her right now in the name of Jesus. And I ask that you would bless her. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so would you guys mind joining me? The people that are standing right now, Go to them and gather around them, and let's pray for them. If you don't remember what the condition is, ask them, and let's pray that the Lord will release them, and then we will be done this evening, okay? So let's go do that.